Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and this is our second show for September of 2018. Dustin, my co-host, and I have both been traveling. In fact, uh, you and Joe were, were just down in New York City, is that correct? Yeah, we were down there, had to get away from Toronto. It was a, a great vacation. Got a chance to see some Broadway things from, you know, the lineups for Harry Potter and the Curse of Child that went on for a millennia. Mm-hmm. All the different things from the, the Rockefeller Center and realizing, hmm, I've seen this Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon stuff a couple of times. Really funny because they have a photo op inside the merch shop from The, the Voice. Mm-hmm. which is actually filmed at Universal Studios Hollywood. So tons of merchandise, tons of great fun. The Nintendo store got a chance to see what was possibly coming to Universal Orlando in in some respects. And we ate a lot of pizza, which yeah. I think that's what you do when you're in New York, right? You have to go to Ray's, the really good one. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned Universal Orlando because that's actually where... My daughter Alice and I were, in fact, we were down there just this past weekend, and we got to catch one of the very last performances of The Eighth Voyage of Sinbad. Now, you managed to catch that show at some point, didn't you? It was always on our list. We got halfway through the show and would either want a butterbeer or we'd have some other thing to go and check out. But from what I can tell, Mm -hmm. very dedicated cast and incredibly updated like they they would update the jokes the script it was one of those things where it was a hidden gem at islands of adventure right Uh, (laughs) okay so that was pr speak then for me what was impressive about the eighth voyage of sinbad is it did had this amazing physical plant in a lot of ways it was indiana jones stunt spectacular at walt disney world's disney's hollywood studios is beloved by a lot of folks and but it was created in 89 and when the folks at universal decided they were going to do a stunt show of their own for islands uh, that opened in 99 they decided to do disney one better that you know if you remember the physical plan of the show they actually have a soundstage sort of a rigging of a ship or that sort of thing that juts out into the audience Mm -hmm. you're right there's a lot of contemporary gags it's in a weird sort of way for me it was sort of where indiana jones meets the hoop-dee-doo davy crockett show where you know there's there's a lot of cheesy physical gags and things like that but you know the the other thing frankly that's kind of interesting to me about it is that it that it got built at all without involving an ip i mean i know there's there's always you know there's a number of folks who believe that this show is actually based on those ray harryhausen sinbad movies Uh, Mm. i think there were three of them at some point but no in fact that's one of the reasons why sinbad's name in for this show is actually spelled s-i-n D-B-A-D, rather than S-I-N-B-A-D, that was used for the seventh voyage of Sinbad, the golden voyage of Sinbad, and Sinbad, the Eye of the Tiger. So the joke that I made last episode about Hmm. Sinbad, the comedian, fell flat on its face because I didn't spell it correctly. 
Eh, you know, they, I tried. I, we'll give you an A for effort there. But what was nice was to be there the last day of the last performances. And it was a very appreciative crowd that turned out. At the end of the show, the cast came out and lots of folks took the opportunity to get their picture taken with them. And I was glad I went. But at the same time, I'll be intrigued to see what they do next here. But again, just thinking back to an era when Universal would do things that weren't based on an IP. Whereas, I mean, think about it. Contrast that with what's going on in Hollywood right now. I mean, just in the time since we recorded our last show, the Jurassic Park ride has closed on the lower lot there. Uh, had its last group of folks go through on September 3rd, and there's already photographs. If you're looking in the right places online, the fences are up, and they are working hard to change out that attraction. There's a press release out there now that describes the what's coming is the Jurassic World ride, which will feature never-before-seen dinosaurs, enhanced storytelling, lush scenic design, an entirely new color scheme, and uncompromised state-of-the-art technology. The company, NBC Universal, owned by Comcast, they're spending this money because Jurassic World is the franchise they're pushing these days, not mm -hmm. the classic Jurassic Park from 94. Did you see that's just now out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD? Yeah, and it's it's doing fairly well. I think that when we're looking at Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, mm -hmm. going into the release, there were some questions trying to figure out, would this be the traditional, after the first one, will it be as good? Is the second the best one? Is, uh, is the third one going to dwarf the second one? And Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was a good movie. It may not have surpassed the original Jurassic World. And granted, there were character elements and story arcs and that kind of thing. But I think when we're looking at it, it was a great escape for people to get out of real world and head to a movie theater. And it worked. I got a chance to see it. When you look at the, the money that it's made, a lot of other people got a chance to see it too. Yeah, I mean, third highest grossing film of the year so far, 1300000000 worldwide. That puts it behind Black Panther, which uh, today just sold $1,340,000,000. But a distant third, obviously, to Avengers Infinity Wars, $2,046,000,000. So in that competition, I'd be happy to come in third. And speaking of threes, for those of you who are marking your calendars, there's a already release out there, date out there for Jurassic World 3. It's supposed to hit a theater near you or on your iPhone or however we'll be watching <laughs> movies in 2021 on June 11th of that year. And speaking of marking your calendars, did you see this announcement just a, a week or so ago about the 2019 edition of the a Celebration of Harry Potter isn't going to happen? This was... Fairly shocking. There's two ways of looking at it. First off, 2019, there's a lot of things that are happening within the Harry Potter, Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Isles of Adventure. There's a lot of moving parts that mm -hmm. are happening with Universal Orlando. And it's not just the two different locations. It's what's happening with expansion and all these different things. So do you know why it was canceled? Well, uh, there's a couple of theories. But you know, the problem is that they're just as easy to knock down as, as they are to put out there. I mean, for example, there are folk, those folks who tell you that the reason the event got pushed back or postponed 
was because the Forbidden Forest coaster that we've talked about on previous shows isn't scheduled to open till spring of 2019. And the thinking was that Universal didn't want to frustrate all of these Harry Potter fans by having them show up a couple of months in advance and, you know, oh, you're, you're going to miss the ride. You're going to have to come back. It's like, I think of this from the point of view of this is a Fortune 500 company. And that's not how people in the corner office think. 2014, the very first year that they did the, the Harry Potter celebration, that was January 24th through the 26th of 2014. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of months later, I, I, I want to say July 8th, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Diagon Alley opens. And Universal had absolutely no problem with, you know, you're going to have to come back if you want to do Diagon Alley. So I don't buy the, oh, we put it off because we didn't want to disappoint people because Forbidden Forest wouldn't be open. That's a very interesting thing. So you mentioned that if the Forbidden Forest coaster isn't ready until, do you mean late spring of 2020? No, or no, late no, spring no. of 2019? Because if it's 2019, that's six to nine months away. And they're doing a lot of work on it. But, you know, the marketing arm and, and that kind of thing could be coming out uh, saying just, you know what, where do we want the Harry Potter focus to be at? I think there's an, another thing going on here. And there was another announcement that was made. The Rock the Universe, the Christian Music Festival, that Universal does. They held this year's edition uh, September 7th through the 9th. Mm -hmm. And on the 10th, they announced the dates of the 2019 Christian Music event and kind of startled everybody because they had they'd shifted the date in a large way. The 2019 edition of Rock the Universe is going to be presented on February 1st and 2nd of 2019. The five Harry Potter events that, you know, have happened previously, again, January 24th through the 26th, 2014, January 30th to February 1st, 2015, January 29th uh, through the 31st, 2016, and so on. You know, that, that at this point, they've settled into that... The late January... Early February it's, period. It's going to happen, yeah. Okay, so now you take your Rock the Universe, which has traditionally been that first or second weekend of, of September, and now you're shifting it to February. Now, Mickey's not so scary. At Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, this year, their very first event for that hard ticket was presented on August 17th. Yeah, Halloween season, of course. Yeah, and, <laughs> and here you have Halloween Horror Nights 20th edition. This year is being presented for a record 36 nights. The 10 mazes that are being presented this year, uh, it was told by Mike Aiello, the, you know, the gentleman who drives the bus on, on this hard ticket. This is going to be the standard going forward. They're officially jumping from nine mazes to 10. Very late in the game here, they jumped from 34 nights to 36 nights. So what do you want to bet that one of the reasons Universal moved Rock the Universe was to allow them to maybe go one weekend earlier, maybe two weekends earlier for Halloween Horror Night? Well, and, and one of the other interesting things about Rock the Universe, so when the announcement was made, I went online and, and started to search for their, their lineup. And so they have a couple of big names, so Skillet, Lecrae, Bethel Music, Matt West. But the big one on there was Skillet. 
And Skillet kind of goes back in time. They've been on the, the top 10 albums on Billboard three separate times, peaking in, at number two back in 2009, and then also peaking at number two in 2016 with Unleashed. And when we were going through figuring out, okay, why is this a big draw? It's a Christian music festival, but it's also a really interesting crossover because Skillet and a couple of these other groups have wide fandoms in the millions for social media. So do we think that maybe having this event at a time where people are looking for ways to get to Universal, it may be a different time. It may be a uh, a way to get them when they weren't on various tours or various festivals. But I was asking a friend and he basically said, these groups compare to booking acts like Jay-Z, Ed Sheeran, Bon Jovi, maybe not the same genre or appeal, but when you're trying to go compare apples to apples, it was a very broad and solid lineup. So it was very interesting. Now, do we know whether or not the Harry Potter celebration will come back in 2020? Or is this going to be a, a last minute possible expansion idea where they're going to rebrand? But I do know that uh, Universal, when they made this announcement about that there would be no event in 2019, they did make release a statement to the effect of we and other Universal theme parks are will always be looking for opportunities to host special Wizarding World experiences. Does that mean that we're going to see maybe a celebration of Harry Potter pop up in Hollywood? I don't know what to tell you. All I know is they're three months in right now. Mm -hmm. to working on Halloween Horror Nights 29. Mike was very straightforward about that. They're zeroing in on IPs. They're zeroing in on both movies and television shows they're going after as well as original stories, that sort of thing. But they're looking for ways to expand that. And speaking of expanding that, I, I wanted to sort of harken back to something we talked about on the last Universal joint, that Dustin had done some, his due diligence and done some research and come across a reference to running Universal, which seemed to suggest this whole program, much like Run Disney, the folks who do the things like the Wine and Dine Half Marathon that's coming up in November, or the original, you know, the, the Walt Disney World Marathon, which is held uh, next year, it's going to be held uh, January 9th through the 13th. So we put that out there, and what ended up happening was Christopher Ripley. He's the, the gentleman who wrote the Halloween Horror Nights unofficial story and guide. He reached out, and he wanted Dustin and I to direct our attention to a story that Dan Ryan, who had written for the Halloween Horror Nights unofficial site back in March of this year, and it had to do with a a survey that had been set out by the Universal Orlando Resort to a set group of customers. And it was looking into, was discussing, trying to get some feedback on some potential add-ons that the resort was considering for future Halloween Horror Nights. And Dustin, which of this pile sounds familiar? We have a virtual reality experience uh, where guests would have the opportunity to participate in an interactive virtual paranormal experience. That sounds like the void. There we go. We have Scaractor Dining, an exclusive dining experience with a themed dinner buffet, Scaractor photo ops, and one digital download of a photo taken during the experience. So 
So oh. that actually sounds like something that you can do right now. Mm-hmm. There is a character dining experience for forty nine ninety nine per person, which allows you to have a all you care to eat themed dinner buffet with a special menu, character photo op, and one digital download of a photo taken at the experience. Now, is this at the the Universal Monsters Cafe? Yes. Okay, that's I was hoping that was the venue. We have two, or actually three, other offerings on this survey, so it's nice to see that one evidently got immediately reacted to and put online for this year's event. But we have a private RIP tour, which is supposed to offer unlimited access to event houses led by an appointed guard exclusively for your group. Which is also available for $159.99 per tour per person. Okay, then we have a semi-private RIP tour, which instant access to a set number of event houses led by an appointed guide on a selected VIP walking tour. That sounds like a step down, probably a price point issue, seeing whether or not people who aren't necessarily... 149, did you say? Yeah, so it was 159 for the uh, RIP tour, mm-hmm. and then they also have, well, the Express Pass is 79.99, mm-hmm. which gives you that separate line. So maybe mm-hmm. it's somewhere in between. True. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see if, if that's activated for 2019. But here, here is the one that I thought particularly would intrigue you. The Zombie Run 5K. So this would allow folks to part in Halloween Horror Type Night to participate in a foot race through Universal Orlando as you are chased by zombies. Uh-oh. <laughs> These are zombies that don't, ooh, give me your brain. These are zombies like run. <laughs> yeah, that reboot that was done, I want to see, in the 90s where mm-hmm. you know, the zombies obviously all had cappuccino before they started. But yeah, the, the fact that this zombie run concept is already out there says that you know the running universal thing this is real and it will be interesting to see if the, if this is an offering going forward as again you know they are looking for ways to expand halloween horror nights and, and speaking of halloween horror nights dustin and i will discuss the 28th edition of this universal orlando heart ticket in detail after we get back from this commercial break so hang in there please okay Before we get started here, Dustin, a, a quick housekeeping note. On our last show, I was talking about my old friend Rick West and mentioning how uh, you know, he was involved with the Scare LA folks. And, yes. Well, it turns out that Rick actually is an ambitious guy, and he launched his own Halloween horror-ish event. It's called Midsummer Scream. It's celebrated its third year this past summer, held down at the Long Beach Convention Center, and I've been told by folks this is well worth checking out. I apologize for Rick that I was not keeping up to date on what he was up to, and I will definitely have to check out Midsummer Scream for the 2019 edition. Yeah, but that's that's huge. Congrats, Rick, for three years. The first year is always incredibly difficult to get your message and your branding and that kind of thing. The second and third years are where, where things get fun. So definitely looking forward to checking this out. And speaking of fun, let us talk about <laughs> Halloween Horror Night 28. My daughter Alice and I were down for this event. And again, this is the first year for the 10 house version 
of Halloween Horror Nights. And Dustin, refresh my memory, are they still offering the frequent fear package? You know, you can buy a ticket to go back multiple nights or how? The frequent fear passes mm-hmm. experience multiple nights throughout the event. So that's $95.99. There is a frequent fear pass plus Halloween mm-hmm. Horror Nights Express Pass. Yeah. So that sounds to me like the full, oh, this is just incredible. Okay, so if you are interested in going to Halloween Horror Nights, keep in mind there are single nights and then there are flexible nights. So Sunday to Friday tickets or Sunday to Saturday tickets, check on the official universalorlando.com website and do your due diligence to get that opportunity to maybe do... Halloween Horror Nights one, two, maybe three times, depending on where whether or not you're a local or anything. There are plenty of options. Dustin is correct, especially with these ten houses and these five scare zones, and let's not forget about the Academy of Villainy new dance show, Cyberpunk. There's a lot to try to do, given some of the wait times. I mean, for example, on the first night. Just to get into the Stranger Things maze was a hundred mm-hmm. minute wait, and you know if you you've only got a ticket for one night, realistically, you, you know even if you're hustling, you're you're not going to be able to do it all. And given the crazy level attention to detail of this event, you really want to try to to, to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Take for example the first thing that Alice and I got to experience, Vamp eighty five. This was a scare zone that was located in the New York section of Universal Studios Florida. In fact, it just bordering on the Jimmy Fallon Rockefeller Center set up. The way Universal Creative described this, this is actually a sequel to Vamp 55, which was a May or a scare zone, excuse me, from the 2016 edition of Halloween Horror Night. And only that version, which was, you know, greasers and big fin cars and zombies and and vampires that was over on hollywood boulevard where this Mm -hmm. one was right there in front of macy's extending down past mummy and as somebody who was a young adult in the 80s i don't know where they got these clothes but they were (laughs) so dead on and oh my god the hair the makeup they did a super super job and the crew in this area fully committed you know alice and i at one point watched this girl in a very small skirt with a mohawk savage a guy in front of us i mean you know just a full vampire attack and then she sat down at a table and i don't know where she got the rubber hand on but she she feasted it on it in this incredibly feral way and it was just sort of like What's the old cliche? Dance like nobody's watching. She was yep. eating her rubber hand like nobody was watching. And it was a weird way to start off the night. You know, to, to, now, Vamp you know, 85, though, when, when you're looking at that spot. So mm. I was born in 85. Yeah. When I saw this, I'm like, we're going back in time here because yeah, the thriller good. costumes, the characters that were in this. And, and keep in mind, when, when you're walking through one of these scare zones, it's all about the buy-in. You can walk through and earbuds in and just be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to the theme park. Mm-hmm. Or you can step back and just experience it all in. And, and it sounds like that's what you did, right, Jim? The problem is that when you're there for a press night, they, they do tend to march you fairly quickly through these things. We did get a chance to circle back. I, I wish we'd, we'd gotten to see 
The dance troupe at Universal, evidently as part of the scare zone, does an amazing version of Thriller on stage in front of the giant logo. And Mm -hmm. we didn't get to see that. I kind of regret that. And I've seen some footage of it online and definitely suggest do your homework, find out when some of these special entertainment moments are happening and trying to be in that space at at that time. On the other hand, we go from Vamp 85 down to South Street to Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the Cheeto Brothers movie from May of 88. And I don't know, have you had the pleasure of seeing Killer Clowns from Outer Space? I have been introduced to them via uh, different methods over the years. Let's be Mm -hmm. honest. They do find their way into pop culture. Mm -hmm. But when I saw the setup and saw the first night of, um, you know, folks go through and they, YouTubers, they have a chance to really, you know, take the, the atmosphere into a different level. But the setup in this zone looked incredible because it wasn't scary or was it? Uh, well, it kind of depends on where clowns are on your <laughs> your own personal horror dial. These outfits were incredible. And Universal supposedly reached out to the Cheeto Brothers and for the clowns actually got to make use of the original molds from the actual film. And they were typically seven or eight of these guys in full suits and masks wandering back and forth through the fog with the circus music playing and the giant dangling cotton candy cocoons with with faces sticking out of them and it was spectacularly unnerving it was one of those things where guy was happy to stand at the outside of this area and look in walking through especially given how big some of these guys were when they, they were in their outfits. And, and, and that was the other thing. These are full costumes, fully padded costumes. In fact, I observed at one point a security guy walked up to one of the crowns and, and just had sort of this quiet conversation. Of like, are you guys okay in there? You know, these suits look really hot. And if you need to get us off stage, let us know. And so it was nice to see the staff watching over the performers just because they're just on stage the whole time. They can't mm-hmm. duck like in a maze, step out for a, a second and catch a break, you know, cool down or that sort of thing. So applause to the bunch of them, but oh my God, I will be seeing those characters in my nightmares for years to come. So we go from South Street and we head over towards Central Park. And here's our third scare zone of the night. We do Twisted Tradition, which... This is the area last year where they had the trick-or-treat scare zone inspired by the 1988 Warner Brothers movie. It was a really unnervingly pretty area because they had so many jack-o'-lanterns up in the trees and they carried that over with this version. But this was more about a far scarier take on the holiday. There were some incredibly impressive stilt performers who were doing costumes that were lit up from within a sort of pumpkin scarecrow characters that walked through the space. But there were people who had these pumpkin slime makeup on where it was just basically their, their faces were slathered with what with the, looked like the innards of pumpkins or that sort of thing. And Don't you feel like we're in the wrong industry? No. That, that could be something that we could be doing day in and day No? Okay. No. no. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love shows like Face Off on Sci-Fi 
where you get to see people do this craft to sculpt the mask and do the detailing and the painting and that sort of thing. But the notion of having to create something like that and then for the 36 nights that this is presented, do the makeups and make sure that people are proper sight lines or Vaseline covering for the face of this breeds properly or more to the point it's easy to remove. I mean, this is a tough thing to do, which is why when we you get to something like the first house of the night that we did, which was uh, the horrors of Blumhouse, this is uh, set up in the tent that's right next door to Men in Black Alien Attack in I think Universal Studios calls this its World Expo area. I'm actually kind of sorry to say that this one didn't really work for me. This was actually two Blumhouse movies sort of hammered together. There was that Happy Death Day movie uh, that was out of October of last year. It was sort of a horror version of Groundhog Day where Mm -hmm. this one college co-ed kept living the day that she was murdered over and over again. And, and so that was the conceit. You kept going in and out of the first half of the maze was basically going in and out of her dorm room. And then what happened to her after she went various places. And interesting to watch moments with the security teams or the, the staff that are inside the mazes. Because the way you moved, you, you came into the dorm room from the hallway. And then in order to exit to transition to the next scene you basically walked into this girl's closet mm-hmm. but the way they did the closet is they had clothes hanging on a bar and you had to push the clothes aside and move into the next room and and what was happening was a lot of people were balking at doing that so they mm-hmm. weren't moving through the maze all that quickly and so here the security guys was like look you know i don't care if you have to push them you got to get them through this room They have to at least in the first room understand that, okay, you are going to be stepping into this closet, you know, three and four different times as you make your way through that part of the Happy Death Day inspired part of the maze. Now, did they have characters on the other side? Like, was it a psychological thing that people were just like, I know if I go through this, I'm going to be scared? I think that's always part of the mazes. And of course, for Happy Death Day, you had the baby face killer in his rubber mask. I just don't think this particular, the repetitive nature of it didn't pay off quite as well as it did. And then suddenly in the middle of the maze, you now are in the first purge. And now you have different purgers leaping out at you. And at one point, I remember there was a guy dressed as a pig man who had a gun in his hand that shot water. And it was just sort of like, okay, that was unnecessary. But as far as mazes go, love the design of it, the attention to detail, that sort of thing. I just don't know if this one was entirely successful. From here, we then headed over to Dead Exposure Patient Zero. This was being uh, presented in what they refer to as the sprung tents, the the two temporary tents that they, they build. They're basically in that backstage space between Men in Black and The Simpsons ride. We call them expansion pad ideas. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, what what could be coming next? And then we ask and people say, well, Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but, but you can do something permanent. And they come back and say, no, Halloween Horror Nights. We'll get to that maze in a bit, the Seeds of Extinction. I believe this was the 10th maze that was done for this event and what was 
Fascinating about this is that it was set up in a building I've never been in before. It, that was the parade warehouse. Second parade warehouse. This has been built backstage relatively recently. Mm-hmm. They decided to also use this building as a maze. But anyway, getting back to Dead Exposure Patient Zero, this was actually a sequel to a maze that had been done 10 years previous at Halloween Horror Night 18 supposedly had to deal with a zombie apocalypse but this is the prequel it's set in paris and they're trying to cure the illness and what they come up with is that as you entered the maze you were supposedly going through this medical fog treatment you were supposed to breathe in as you walked it was supposed to cure you of the zombie illness and unfortunate side effect it turned you blind That then sets off the artistic conceit of the maze in that it's all painted black except when strobes kick on and you can get these white elements that come out and, and now you have the zombies lurching out of complete darkness. It was surprisingly effective. In fact, there was this, especially a, a subway car that you entered that made use of a mirror effect. It's hard to describe, but very, very disorienting. It didn't especially help the latter part of the attraction where suddenly you're in the famous catacombs under Paris and surrounded by piles of skulls and bones and zombies lurching out of the dark. But really, really well done. And then from there, we moved right into Sprung Tent 2 where they had Slaughterhouse Cinema. This was actually just kind of cheesy fun. The gimmick of this was that this was a celebration of B-movies one point we encountered a swamp yeti we encountered the cult of the ba- the beast baby biker werewolves killer barbers there were seven separate seven terrible little films that were celebrated in each in quickly set up rooms that that paid off beautifully but what was was fun about this is that even the smells backed up the story i mean for example when you were going through the concession stand it smelled like a concession stand but when we're looking at the, the smells, that actually reminds me of an interview that Mike Aiolo uh, did mm-hmm. when he was talking about the day that they had the smell meeting mm-hmm. and how everyone would show up. It would always be um, a specific day and, you know, they would block out a time, but you would never go either right before lunch or right after lunch. It was always a time where you never wanted to go and be like, OK, I'm going to be smelling rotten apples. And the very next thing that I'm going to be smelling is DK number seven. And he would talk about this this meeting where he knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. It was that next sense that people require when they're going and basically giving themselves into this event. You have to have the visual, but those little smells really get you. Definitely. And in fact, the next maze, Seeds of Extinction, which, it, as I mentioned, was in that, that second parade warehouse that they hadn't used previously. The conceit of this one is that a meteor has struck Earth, and within five days' time, the entire planet Earth has grown over with this fungal plant thing that humanity has basically been undone by this cataclysm. But now you're wandering through sort of this mall space in Arizona shouldn't be overgrown with thick jungle plants. And what was really cool about this one is because you were surrounded by plants, 
you were constantly doing, okay, that's this character. No, that's a stationary plant. This character's coming up behind you now. You'd <laughs> enter these rooms like the Good Harvest Daycare, and it's like, oh, no, little children turned into horrible man-eating plants. Could not get out of that building fast enough. They did an amazing job. This was an original IP that Universal just knocked out of the park. I mean, it just it did hyper, hyper, hyper detailing. And then we move to the first parade warehouse, the one that's become a standard space for Universal to stage mazes in. That This is out behind the Woody Woodpecker Kid Zone. And this is where they celebrated Trick or Treat, the uh, Michael Doherty movie. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Trick or Treat. It came out in December of 2007, which tells you right off the bat, somebody at Warner Brothers wasn't on the ball, which is why this movie has kind of fallen through the cracks. But Doherty has become kind of a rising star in the industry since then. Uh, he directed Krampus, which, by the way, Universal turned into a maze last year. And he's actually putting the finishing touches right now on Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which will be out next May or thereabouts. But this was a, a cute maze. I mean, mm -hmm. not overly frightening. In fact, you know, at one point in the maze, there's a kid who's eaten too much cotton candy or Halloween oh. candy. It's not an animatronic. It's an effect, but it's a kid sitting on the steps, perpetually puking into a bucket. But you have to understand, in every room of this maze, there's a security guard. <laughs> You know, somebody who's there just to make sure that, you know, you're not tearing apart the props or and you're moving to the next scene. And I just looked at this poor guy and it's like, he's how long have you been in here watching this kid puke? They aren't paying you enough. But in the end, I mean, again, there were some nice set pieces in here that, that those of you who know the movie know about the school bus massacre. And they did a, a really good job of recreating that moment where the bus is being pulled out of the quarry. But it was cute. I mean, it was well mm -hmm. done, good detail, but not necessarily long on frights. And speaking of not necessarily long on frights, the Academy of Villains Cyberpunk. Oh. All right. Uh, look. I, so here's the thing that when, when I saw this, first mm -hmm. off, it's sad because, you know, we, we lost the original property that was always in the Fear Factor stage. So we thought, okay, this Bill is just Ted. an Say example. Bill and Ted. Say the name. Bill and I'm Ted. I'm sorry. Bill and Ted. Bill and mm. Ted. Bill and Ted. There we yeah. go. Seven years good luck right there. Mm. But as soon as we, we heard that they were going away, that last year was the last time, we're like, okay, so Fear Factor is going to be torn down. And then they announced this. And it sounds to me, just from the description, that this is right up your alley. Uh, okay. <laughs> no. No, no, I mean, look, okay. I, I'm, I'm going to be polite here because there's a, I'm thinking of the many parents who drove their children to dance lessons. The 17 people who were on stage taking part in this highly energetic show. Skilled performers. I want to stress here that other people in the audience seemed to have a wonderful time. They were highly <laughs> enthusiastic. It gave them a good, strong feeling and no expense had been spared. This was a well put together set and professionally lit lots of pyro and in the end it was basically the musical version of the terminator those of us who know james cameron's work that's what that film was missing the arnold schwarzenegger you know turning to the camera going i'll be back i'll be back and i'll give you such a smack you know we'll kill all <laughs> the policemen and then put them in a stack i just get no this is not a story that needs music and dance 
it was 25 minutes long of music and dance. And my friend Arthur Levine, who writes for USA Today, you know, we were back in the press center late, like afterwards and talking about what we'd seen earlier in the evening. And we both admitted that this was a show that made us feel very old because all we can think of is like, turn down the music. I can't hear. No disrespect to the parents who paid for the dance lessons, but if you're, you're running low on time, you know, at your, your Halloween Horror Night, you could maybe take a pass on Academy of Villainy cyberpunk show. And then from here, we, we start to head back through the park to the Revenge of Chucky Scare Zone. And that one was actually very entertaining. Mm-hmm. The gimmick of it was that this was sort of a toy trade show event that Chucky had perverted. So, for example, there was the display of sort of an easy bake oven with a child sticking out of it. So something had clearly gone wrong there. Likewise, there was a barrel of monkeys set up only with very feral-looking apes. If you know the game Operation, there was a guy walking around with a hospital gown who clearly somebody had erred trying to remove his wrenched ankle. But the highlight was actually the stage in the middle of the street, middle of Hollywood Boulevard, where they had the Chucky doll in his box as a puppet that was not only interacting with the audience, he was taking questions, he was selecting people like you in the white shirt. It was a a level of interaction that you don't typically get at these sorts of events. And I want to say there was 100 to 150 people crowded around the stage, just sort of hanging on, on Chucky's every word. And just today... There's a Chucky reboot in the works, and they just released the first imagery of the new good guy doll. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's just enough of the Child's Play-looking character that we know from the original film of from November of 88, and to God help us, the six sequels? <laughs> Seriously, if, if you have some time in much the same way as Dustin was telling you about Take Your Time, Linger in Vamp 85, this is another one. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. worth your time to hang out there. And then we transition into Halloween 4, uh, Return to Mike Myers. Uh, this is located in the Shrek Theater. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that there's actually two of those theaters. Mm-hmm. They've converted one of the spaces into... Uh, this celebrates the fourth of the Halloween films, the one that was released in October of 88. And I'm not going to lie to you, this was kind of one note sort of repeatedly it's a guy in a William Shatner mask that's been painted white that's in a jumpsuit that holds up a knife and you sort of kept going from room to room to room and have that happened and there was no place for it to go and Mm -hmm. so we transitioned out to the seat very quickly and now we're in the harvest uh this is the fifth and final scare zone of of the night and this is in the production central corridor the plaza of the stars area you know as you enter the park and you're walking back toward jimmy fallon and uh, mummy and that sort of thing you up the main drag there this was basically a temporary old barn that had been set up and You had sort of scarecrows that looked like they were wearing ghillie suits Mm -hmm. lurching out of the fog. And I mean, the interesting thing is this area also doubled for where they put the marquees for the various mazes. So it was kind of a twofer, but fun to walk through. Not all that memorable. Anyway, again, we, we take a break at this point. 
And we now start to plunge into the maze, the giant, the big mazes that are built out of the sound stages. And the first one we went to was Stranger Things. Now, you've watched this Netflix series, right? Yes. So from what I've heard of, of this particular maze, when you go into Universal Studios Florida, usually you look to see how busy the night is going to be based on how what the, the wait time is for Minion Mayhem. Mm-hmm. And from what we can tell, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stranger Things is this bar where you walk in and if Stranger Things is, you know, 40 minutes, it's like, OK, things haven't gotten crazy yet. But the regular by the time the event gets going, this is the 85 to 125 minutes where everyone is there because Stranger Things has such a diverse fandom. That it makes sense. Everyone wants to see this. It was the longest line of the night. It was the one that people were most excited to see. And having just the weekend before the event, Alice and I sat down and watched all eight hours back to back to back, you know, so we were properly prepped. It was kind of fascinating to watch that story filtered through a Halloween Horror Night sensibility. I mean, for example, do you know the moment in the the show where the Winona Ryder character, Will's mom, is chopping a hole in the wall of her house because she's, you know, her son's trapped in the alternate dimension and she's seen him try, you know, on the other side of this wall. At that point, it's it's a crazed mom doing whatever can she to save her child and your heart mm-hmm. goes out to her. In the Halloween Horror Night setup, you come around a corner and here's a mom with an axe chopping at a wall who then turns and looks at you with, with the axe in her hand. And it's like, wow, so that's now I'm supposed to be scared by the mom trying to rescue her child. That was what was kind of fascinating about Stranger Things was to take a lot of uh, horror moments, reimagine them or storytelling moments and, and imagining them as horror beats. They did some some amazing stuff in here that did a beautiful job of echoing the look and feel of the film. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you remember from watching Stranger Things, the moments when they were in the upside down and you'd see that sort of particulate matter in the air. Mm-hmm. What they did in it, you know how when you're at a Disney theme park for Mickey's Very Merry? Yeah, for the snow. There we go. Yeah, okay. They kicked on the foam machines, and that became the particular matter. The other thing that was kind of startling about this was to have actual children in the maze. And I, don't get me wrong, I know they've done this before. Just last year with the Shining Maze, where they come join us, you know, the twins in the hallway. But it was still kind of startling to see, especially when I'm in there at 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, it's like... I'm enough of a parent that it was like, my first thought was like, you should be home in bed. Not like, oh my God, you scared me, kid. Well, and working with kids is very, especially when you're in a theme park environment, by all means, that's the way that it should be. They have very strict working environments that they have to, uh, it's very time-based. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an incredible learning experience for them because usually they are child actors. Mm-hmm. And you have that opportunity to get them in at this event and see what they can do. Granted, it is, it's a very long night. It's very disorientating for a lot of people. The other thing worth noting here is that given the thousands of people you were pumping through these mazes, you know, you don't 
it's I, you know don't get me wrong i i know that the scare actors are performing but it's it's a you know a very narrow performance you know because they have to bump all these people through in fact that was one of the last beats of the the stranger things maze is you come around a court and corner and here is Eleven doing sort of the power hand at you, you know, standing there in her hospital gown. And it was just sort of like, ooh. And again, I don't want to think of Eleven as a, a monster from the Stranger Things storyline. She's this poor little girl who is being abused by this secret government organization because of her, her powers. But anyway, I'm being a dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Another quick side note here, though. What's fun about what Universal has decided to do to celebrate Stranger Things being part of Halloween Horror Nights is they've actually created some food items that key off of the Stranger Things mythology. So if you want a sandwich made out of Eggos, you can get a chicken and waffle sandwich made with Eggos. So seek that out when you're in the park. On the other hand, if you go to the Poltergeist Maze, which is being staged in Soundstage 25... I wouldn't recommend getting the steak because it walks around by itself. We talked earlier about, you know, taking a film and, and focusing its storytelling sensibility. What fascinated me about what they do with Poltergeist is where they decided to start this story. Uh, you know, in fact, Mike, I was talking with Michaela about this, and it's like, you know, face it, the thing of Poltergeist, what makes that movie scary is at least for the first half of it, it's set in this very, very normal suburban environment. So how do you make that scary? And what they actually decided to do was when you walk into this maze, you are in the swimming pool. You're in the moment where you can hear the father, you moved the gravestones, but you kept the, you know, the graves in place. You are literally in the last 15 minutes of this movie. And you enter the house through the swimming pool space and go under the house with all of these gravestones popping out. And then this becomes puppetry tour de force. They do between the scary clown toy, between the spirit that's on the other, you know, go into the light. They had some giant motherish puppets. And then uh, the evening, the way our evening ended anyway, our group went to Scary Tales Deadlier Than Ever. It's basically the Wicked Witch 1. She's taken over the fairy tale realm and, you know, every story that she could possibly make worse, she's made worse. So you get to see the witch's house for Hansel and Gretel and Gretel is the main course. <laughs> or, you know, you get to see the story of Rapunzel with all of her suitors and all of her helpers tied up with her hair and Rapunzel herself has been scalped. Oh. There is, again, a, a wonderful puppet in yep. you know the, the early moments of this thing. They do a cowardly lion that's now feral and fierce that you come around a corner and it's, it's an amazing piece of work and you know, definitely worth taking out. Was this the one that had the witch that would jump off of her platform? I didn't get to see a witch jump off of her platform. Oh. What I did get to see as you enter, you have a... They built a wonderful witch's castle. You can actually hear the witch as you're entering. Come around a corner and here's the witch's castle. And here she is monologuing as you, you enter the maze properly. You, you walk under her. But it was kind of a weird mo moment that they had her harnessed basically to the ceiling of the soundstage. You wanted to be looking at the beautiful castle. You wanted to be looking at the witch 
in her amazing costume and makeup, but all you could see was the safety harness. It just kind of pulled you out of the moment. But what's interesting about that is that with Halloween Horror Nights and all of the, the various mazes and scare zones and everything like that, what people need to realize and almost take into account that how impressive this event is for the fact that every year is different. And every year they do different properties and the the people who are working there, they do that for that one year, for that that one event, and then they're going to learn something else next year. Now, it's interesting you say that because the very final maze we went through for the night, Carnival Graveland Rust in Peace, you know, kind of turns what you were just saying on its ear because what they did is they went to the warehouse and pulled out pieces of every Halloween Horror Nights maze that they'd done to date and mm-hmm. used those to decorate the set. The scale of this one, it just towered over you. Props from all sorts of Halloween Horror Nights previous were scattered in among the space. And they took advantage of the fact that this was one of the bigger sound stages at Universal Studios Hollywoods and just went huge with the size and the scale of this thing. I mean, it was a, it was a wonderful way to end the night. So there, there are two questions that I have just before we, we end out, just because you were just there. Mm-hmm. You went through all of these on the media tour. So it's similar to an RIP tour that public can go and get 159 per person, where you basically get to walk right onto the houses. Was that worth it? Or would you believe that the the Express Pass, which is half the price, $79, like which one do you think after being there and seeing the lines and seeing how much you got done, is it worth the, the price? No disrespect to my hosts at a Universal Studios. I just wonder if trying to do 10 mazes and five scare zones and mm-hmm. an academy of villainy all in one night is the best way to do this. Especially when you, you're doing the RIP tour and you're being marched from, from maze to maze to maze to maze and through scare zones and that sort of thing. It's the equivalent of having a Thanksgiving dinner in 30 minutes. I mean, you just, you're, you're mm-hmm. bolting down all of this incredibly rich stuff. Well, details that people like Mike Iola and his, his entire team have spent 18 months on. Yeah. Yeah. You're being gone from one to the next to the next, feeling like, you know, herded cattle. Again, I know that, you know, the advantage of the RIP tours is you get to see everything. The, yes. the disadvantage is you get to see everything quickly. You don't necessarily get the time in, you know, for example, to talk with your friends as you stand in line for the next maze going that, oh, my God, weren't the puppets and poltergeist amazing? And what was your favorite effect from... You know, yeah. that sort of thing. You just you you have to take it down all in one gulp. And more to the point, you also have to march across the park. Do you cover the entire park in the park opens at six thirty and closes at one? It's a long night. If it were me and money were no object, I would actually bury the needle in the other direction. I would perhaps spring for the express pass mm-hmm. but i would do this over several nights makes sense i would plant myself for an hour or so in vamp 85 and, and enjoy all the show elements there in the individual scenes 
I'd probably get an adult beverage thirst to calm my nerves and then go hang out in the killer clown zone. I mean, I really <laughs> regret that I didn't get any pictures taken with those guys, but they creep me out. Likewise, the child's play zone really looked like it would have been a fun space to spend a good amount of time in to see every, everything that was there. We don't all have infinite budgets or infinite time for vacation. So if that's mm-hmm. the one way you can do it and you want to see it all in one night, then the RIP thing, it's money well spent. There are nights where the event starts on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I would mm-hmm. bet you the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights would be light enough you could really get some great FaceTime with some of these very, very scary characters that don't have faces. <laughs> but I think those are valid points that you raised. That- I think the the big thing that from hearing what you've said with all the different houses and everything is that every night is different. Every If you do a different uh, starting point and end point, everything's going to be different. But just keep in mind, when you go to something like Halloween Horror Nights, you're dealing with a live uh, situation where you're de- there. There are actors all over the place, and if you go for just one night and it's raining, or like, come on, it rains in Florida, um, there are situations that'll come up. So do your research. Know that every year is different, and every it's it's almost like going for food. Everything is subjective based on your exposure to some of these properties. Absolutely. And and the other thing, frankly, and I say this as a New Englander and you, you know, living up in Toronto will probably appreciate this. Let's fold Mickey's not so scary into <laughs> to this problem as well. When you're doing a Halloween event in August or September and it's 88 or 90 degrees at 10 o'clock at night and humid, it's hard to get into that Halloween mindset. You know, for me, you know, Halloween is something that you do at night when it's cool and it's crisp. And I realized, you know, that, that you know, particularly in our, our climate change era and more to the point to the fact that this is Florida, you know, yeah. you, you don't get the cool, crisp evenings that, that put you in the right frame of mind. So, you know, but when you said Halloween, I was like, hey, wait a second. Halloween in Canada, you build your costumes over your snowsuit. There we go. That's the way it works. There we go. Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Very, very popular. <laughs> anyway, folks, so uh, that in probably way too much detail is Halloween Horror Night 28. Kudos to Mike Aiello and the whole team at the Universal Orlando Resort. They did an absolutely killer job on this year's event. And even with the, the, the few mazes of scarecones that don't necessarily deliver you know, the A-plus experience, there's there's enough of them. This particular event is well worth seeking out. So uh, if you, you're you down in Orlando over the next month or two, do make a point of seeking this out. In the meantime, Dustin and I will be back in just a, a, a short while with even more news about all of the other stuff that's opened in and around the Universal Orlando Resort. In fact, we have yet to do really do a deep dive on the Aventura. So let's look at doing that the next time around. Okay, Dustin? Absolutely. Cool. Sounds good. Okay. Well, on behalf of Mr. Fuse and myself, this is Jim Hill, and thanks for listening. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network. <laughs>